Grace Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through His Word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod, and today we're looking at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through to 7, verse 7. So a massive section of the book. But the most famous thing that happens is that Moses is walking um, around as a shepherd, looking after his sheep. He passes a bush that's on fire, and it turns out that God is using it as a public address system. So the burning bush, do you want to tell us about why that is such a significant moment? Yeah. So we we know that fire um, is connected with God's presence. We get that at other points. We're back in Genesis with the smoking uh, fire pots, and then even Genesis fifteen. Genesis fifteen in Exodus, um, it's the fire that leads them during their wilderness wanderings. There's a fire at Sinai in the tabernacle, um, the smoke, and so on. So it's some kind of symbol of God's presence, um, and the, the immediate context is tells us. It's, it's particularly, I think, about God's holiness. So he has to um, take off his shoes because it's holy ground. And there's this question of whether he can draw close and he's he's frightened. Um, and I think it's, there's a lovely, well, I may be speculating, but I think there's um, evidence that um, it's very significant that it's burning but not consumed. And that anticipates a, a theme which we're going to see as we go through the book of whether um, a, a holy God can dwell with a sinful people. And, and we see, you know, when the fire at Sinai, which is the same place that this is occurring with the, the burning bush in chapter three, um, the people can't approach. So God is too awesome. And then just as uh, in chapter 33, they're about to head across the wilderness. God says, I, I can't really go with you because I might consume you on the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. How could I go with a sinful people? And then the climax of the whole book in chapter 40 god does dwell with his people in the tabernacle but he fills it with his cloud and they can't even go in so it's oh this is a bigger issue than we thought and that you know leads on to leviticus how is it that um a fire can can dwell but not consume a people so i think all of that is just in microcosm here so fire says danger and holiness and yet what is spoken from the fire says relationship and closeness. And this is going to be this tension all the way through. Um, and God um, famously announces from the fire his name. So um, I'll just read from verse uh, 14. Um, Moses says, if, if the people say, what is his name? What is God's name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And this has really puzzled theologians. It seems such a paradoxical name. Who are you, God? Well, I am. So, oh, thanks. You know, you haven't told us much there. Um, and there's all sorts of people have talked all sorts of ways that what this could mean. But I think one of the ideas is that God, God cannot be defined by reference to other things. So if you were to say, who are you? I'd say, well, I'm Andrew. I am the son of Howard and Linda. Um, or people might say to you, who are you? And you say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm the father of, and uh, we could, um, define ourselves relative to somebody else or, but God doesn't do that. God says, I, I'm only going to define myself relative to myself. I am who I am. Um, if you want to know who I am, you've got to look at me and how I behave and what I do. Um, but then the other way that, um, the name comes, the other form the name comes is in this, um, the word the Lord in capitals. 
So actually in two verses, he says it both ways. So verse 14, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, the Lord has sent me to you. And it's obviously the same name. Um, in Hebrew, the name is Yahweh um, or old translations had Jehovah. Um, it's kind of actually it's what you get in Hebrew if you say I am who I am really quickly <laughs> it sounds a bit like Yahweh um, but in the New Testament when the apostles quote these passages that have the name Yahweh they use the Greek word kurios which is Lord so the reason that our English translations mostly go for Lord in capitals is because they're following the apostles in the New Testament so we've got these two names um, I am who I am translated as Yahweh New Testament translates as Lord um, what does it tell us about God? Well, he's he's self-defined. He's a Lord. He's a master, a ruler. And then the context here really fills that out. What kind of God and ruler is he? Do you want to tell us about some of the features of, of God's revelation of his name that, that tell us about his character? Uh, yeah. So as we go through, well, I, for one thing, I think it's not necessarily a new word to them. Um, so Yahweh... Yeah, it seems like it was used in in Genesis with Noah um, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So it's, I, I think they may have known the name, but maybe not known the content of it. And this is important because in chapter six, verse three, God says, "I didn't reveal myself by my name, the Lord." And you're thinking, "Oh, didn't you?" But you're saying, "Yeah, but not in this sense, I didn't." So I, it was like a placeholder, and now I'm going to fill in the content. Uh, of what the name means and really I think the whole book of Exodus is is filling in the content that I'm the God who does Exodus I I redeem people I reveal my name I dwell amongst my people and so on so this is the kind of God that Yahweh is and that becomes actually the theme tune of the whole book of Exodus doesn't it in almost every section of the book God keeps doing things and he says so that you will know that I am Yahweh (laughs) So, I mean, it's actually significant. In Exodus, names have already had meanings. So we're told that Moses was named because he was drawn out of water. And I think the the Hebrew word Moses sounds a bit like fished out of water. And Gershom, Moses' son, I'll call him Gershom because I was a sojourner in a foreign land. And um, Gershom sounds like the the word for um, alien or sojourner. So we're kind of used to people being named with a meaning that is appropriate to who they are. So when we get the name Yahweh, we inevitably ask, well, what's, what did you do? What's, what's your meaning? And as you say, it's rescuing, judging, promise keeping. So the thing that said a lot of times is I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I'm Yahweh. So people are sometimes called Yahweh God's covenant name. It's the name attached to his promises. But as you say, that's, that's not new. That's a Genesis thing. Here the, the, is the <coughs> thing that God will do because of his promises which is to deliver and to deliver and to judge which we think of as opposite things but exodus thinks of as kind of the same thing uh, yeah we're going to come on to um to, to more of that when we hit the um the passover and so on but the um the same god who uh, part, an aspect of delivering the people will be his judgment on pharaoh and actually they'll also need rescuing from god himself as we're going to see with the substitutes um one of the um the things that i like about the way exodus sets up revelation i.e um he rescues but it's not for the sake of rescuing in itself it's for the sake of that he might demonstrate who he is and that's just a beautiful 
thing. It's, it's not enough that they relocate from one, you know, they were in Egypt and then they end up in Canaan. Um, and that's obviously a nice thing. It's a, it's a n- nicer neighborhood. But a much bigger thing than that is they get to come into relationship with God and to, to know God as he really is. And God is really jealous for his name. In, and we're going to discover that he doesn't just want his people to know. He wants the Egyptians to know. He wants people, you know, like um, Jethro and then uh, Rahab and he, uh, ultimately us. He wants the whole world to know who, what kind of a God he is. He's a saving God. And so this relocation is for a much greater purpose that God would be known. And that's his great heart. And and for us, his church, if if we share his heart, we'll want God's name to be known as well. Makes the third commandment make a lot more sense, doesn't it? So you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And, you know, he said just about God doesn't like swearing or whatever. Um, But then you see it in the context of Exodus. You think, well, of course, because God really cares about not being misrepresented. Um, he wants to be known for who he really is. So to summarise, chapter 3, I am who I am, the Lord. It's about being the God of promises and he's going to keep them, about the God he's going to save, about the God he's going to judge his enemies in order to save. He talks about, I love the, the imagery, God says, Pharaoh will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. I will stretch out my hand. So Yahweh is strong and able to roll up his sleeves and get the job done. Now, one of the strange things about these chapters, we're looking at chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, is that what we get in chapter 3 at the burning bush, we get almost the same ideas in chapter 6. So God says again, um, my name is Yahweh. He says again, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He says again, I've seen your suffering. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to judge the Egyptians. And the question is, why do we need it again? Like we, you know, it's the same ideas that you end up doing a Bible study. You think you get a sense of deja vu. We've been here before. Um, what's going on in the intervening narrative that makes it necessary for God to repeat himself? Yeah. And once you've, you've noticed the sort of this thing, you, you notice there's a kind of repeated structure. So you've got the revelation of God's name at the beginning of each chapter three chapter six and then both are followed immediately by a kind of cowardly moses um incident so chapter four and also uh, chapter six where moses is reluctant to go and then the final part of each trilogy is well the first one concludes with moses mission failing so moses goes on his mission to egypt but pharaoh opposes him the people blame moses moses blame blames God it all ends terribly and at the end of this the second sequence in chapter seven um, Moses is cowardly but then God promises success and I love this because you, you get um, uh, it, it emphasizes that this mission is going to succeed because of God's stubbornness so um, I'm going to send you no I don't want to go he, he goes and it's a disaster I'm going to send you no I don't want to go no I am going to do this uh, and God's promise at the end is what is going to drive the rest of the book forward. It's not because Moses is a particularly, um, you know, motivated uh, leader. It's because God is behind this. So it's very simply, it kind of, it doesn't work the first time. It does work the second time. And the obstacles are Moses and his own faith and uh, uh, lack of faith. And also Pharaoh. And it's it's interesting to see Pharaoh's reaction when um, chapter 5 Moses and Aaron goes and says to Pharaoh 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let them Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. And so this whole thing, if the book is about God revealing his name, you kind of see why that's needed because Pharaoh does not know his name. It's a, you know, it's if I were to go and, I don't know, um, you know, turn up in, in British Parliament and said, in the name of Jesus, you need to make this law. And they don't quite say who is Jesus because everyone, you know, everyone does know that, but the name doesn't have any weight for them. Like, why should we do what you want just because you're a Christian lobby group? But by the end of Exodus, God is going to say that you need to take me seriously because my name has a lot of weight, has clout. But um, Pharaoh doesn't listen. And, and arguably the reason that, I mean, that one of the problems that Pharaoh doesn't listen is because Moses actually gets the script wrong. So Moses doesn't quite say what God tells Moses to say. So I think God God tells Moses to go in and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Otherwise, I will um, stretch out my hand and plague you. And what Moses actually says is, um, please, can we go? Because otherwise the God will crush us. And that is, I think that's, that's real cowardice there. So it's actually a threat to Pharaoh. And Moses transposes it into a, sort of a poor us have sympathy on us because our god's a bit mean so he actually really dishonors god it makes it sound like god will be untrue to his own people and he lessens the conflict with pharaoh so he kind of bottles it in a way that um it make it makes god a lot less powerful um because he's afraid of the confrontation and i think i think that's a challenge to me in my evangelism you know i'll i want to say what will be least confrontational and the danger is sometimes in doing so we dishonor god um, I, I guess what we what we're saying here is Moses, Moses, who is going to be the great rescuer, isn't at the moment really in a fit state to be a rescuer. Do you want to tell us a bit more about um, this theme of Moses isn't ready for it yet, and it's God who is the hero? Yeah. So one of the well, if you watch the Prince of Egypt movie or you know in popular ideas, it, it tends to be Moses that is the great hero of the Exodus, and actually in some of these. God is just written out of the script altogether. It's just Moses who does it. Um, and I think one of the, the interesting things in this portrait of Moses, especially in chapter four and then again in chapter six, is that Moses doesn't come off well. He's he's reluctant, cowardly. He doesn't really know the Lord. Um, he's just being introduced to him, it seems. Um, he's not ready for it. And it, what it's doing is, I guess, helping us position where our confidence should be. Um, in the Lord and not Moses although I it, it'd be good to to think about that because I think when I first thought it it was thumbs up God thumbs down Moses let's let's not trust Moses let's trust the Lord but it's a little bit more nuanced than that can you help us with that yeah so I mean I think you I absolutely agree with you that Moses is not ready right here and there's a lot of Moses I mean it's almost comedy in chapter four when he just says he tries all these excuses and none of them work and then God always has an answer and then Moses just says please there's someone else you know um but yet also in this section we get this genealogy in chapter six of um Moses and I mean I don't know how excited people are about genealogies but we probably ought to be more excited than we are so it you know, why does the narrator break into his storytelling to suddenly step back and give you a whole family tree? It really is to underline Moses' significance. And interestingly, it's it's a genealogy of Moses that goes past Moses 
um, into his children, great in grandchildren, great great grandchildren, and it takes us all the way to Phinehas, who is famous in the Book of Numbers because he is the priest with whom God makes a covenant of eternal priesthood. So I think the genealogy is there to say Moses really counts as priest, and even beyond the death of Moses, the priesthood continues. So for the reader of Exodus. They need to know that the Moses priest character is an important character. We, we want someone like this. We, we've got God, but we need a mediator between us and God, not least because a bit later in the book when we fall into sin um, in Exodus 32 with the golden calf, it's Moses who makes the difference between God abandoning the people, um, destroying them and giving them another chance. So it is really significant that we have a mediator and a priest character and as the book goes on, we'll see that more and more. So chapter 14, the, the last verse of chapter 14, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So actually you need to trust both God and the mediator. Chapter 32, chapter 33, Moses, the one who mediates, whose prayers um, cause God to turn away his anger. So um, we need Moses, but he's not the hero yet. And how does that impact how we kind of apply it to ourselves? Because I guess first reading, it could be don't trust God, don't trust anyone else, human leaders, any. Um, but yeah, how does this nuance our application? Well, I mean, I think that the way that the Moses as mediator theme goes through the Bible, is it, I mean, it ends in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate priest. In fact, I think... People talk about Jesus as prophet, priest and king. We did a bite-sized theology on that um, last year. But I think actually Moses is all of those things. He's he's a king. I mean, he's a shepherd, which is the metaphor in the Bible that becomes the metaphor for kings. I mean, Moses is a shepherd, David is a shepherd. He made you ruler and judge. <laughs> well, he's the ruler. He's also a prophet. I mean, famously, he's the spokesman who brings the, the law um, Deuteronomy 18 looks for another prophet like Moses and he's the ultimate priest as the genealogy tells us so Moses is is a real Jesus preview a type of Jesus and you think well where does that go because obviously Jesus doesn't have to learn to be prophet priest and king surely because he's eternally God and yet interestingly in the New Testament I mean Jesus is born already as God but as priest he has to learn his way and we read in the book of Hebrews that Jesus learns obedience and becomes fit to be a priest. So I think this trajectory in the growth of God's mediator, it has parallels with Jesus. But I suppose the other thing is just in, in the Trinity, we're not to understand um, God the Son and God the Father as rivals. And I guess that's part of the point here, that Moses is not an alternative hero to God. He is God's hero, just like Jesus is not an alternative God to God. He is the Father's Son. And so you see... You know, you see glimpse something of the harmony of the Trinity as um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit work together to save them. Andrew, let's finish with one of the most curious little episodes in these chapters, which we skipped over, which in chapter four, verse 24, I'll read it. And Moses is on his way to meet Pharaoh. And on the way, the Lord met him and sought to kill him. <laughs> like what is going on there? So God wants to kill Moses, his rescuer. It, it what's going on so i think i mean just on the surface of it the things that are clear is that circumcision is necessary god instituted it in genesis 17 and moses has neglected it and uh, he needs to get in step with god's command because the thing that stops the angel killing him is 
Zipporah circumcises Maze's son, touches his feet with the foreskin, and then he's spared. Exactly. Um, and But that still kind of raises the question of why is this a key moment and why is it included in Exodus? And I think it's, um, it's another prefiguring of a moment when uh, the Israelites are going to be saved through blood uh, in chapter 12. And actually, structurally, these two parts are connected in a big uh, overall structure. So you're saying this is a ki- this is linked to the Passover, blood sacrifice to save somebody. And we're not just drawing arbitrary links between bits of Exodus because there are there's clues in the context. So the very previous verse to, to this episode says, um, God says to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. So there's a, a promise of the Passover, the, the death of the firstborn. And then the very next thing that happens is Moses has his encounter with an angel about to kill him and he needs blood sacrifice. Exactly. So I think what we're seeing here is a sort of um, Moses going through what Israel will go through. And what we're discovering is that he needs his own, even the saviour needs saving. He's having his own mini Passover now. And then the people will have their own Passover in chapter 12. So there's so much here, isn't there, about God has revealed a lot about his character um, his name, I am the, the Lord, um, the need for blood sacrifice and rescue and judgment on Pharaoh. But actually, the, the whole thing sort of ends with a, on a cliffhanger because the first time that Moses speaks to Pharaoh, Moses, Pharaoh doesn't listen. Who is Yahweh? I don't know Yahweh. I'm not going to let them go. Um, Moses himself is discouraged. He says in chapter 5, verse 22, why did you send me, God? You know, ever since you sent me, um, Pharaoh's just treated us badly and you haven't delivered your people at all. And then even after God has revealed himself the second time in chapter six, we read in chapter six, verse nine, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And so God is speaking, but really no one is listening. Pharaoh's not listening. Moses is hardly listening. The people aren't listening. And one of my favorite verses is, um, is verse 7 chapter 6 verse 7 when you look at the tenses of it chapter 6 verse 7 god says i will take you to be my people and i will be your god and you shall know that i am the lord your god future tense who has brought you out from under the burdens of the egyptians past tense and i think what god is saying is it's all very well for me to say it but actually you've got to see me do it and it's with the benefit of hindsight that you will understand and that, I guess that's, you know, that's true all the way through the Bible, isn't it? That once God's acted, then you know that he meant what he said. Um, I, it makes me think of that bit in John's gospel where Jesus says in John chapter two, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And no one understands. And then John says, after he was raised from the dead, oh yeah, then we understood. And it's like the benefit of hindsight. And I guess they've got hindsight because they look back at the Exodus we've got even more hindsight because we look back on the death and resurrection of Jesus and now we know who he is. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.